This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I am Juliet Jacobs. It's time for another catch-up with the co-founders and environmental journalism portal Makaranga, Wong Siu Lin and Lau Yao Hua. We're going to discuss some top environmental news from the month past. What a month it's been, guys. Um, so in the lead-up to GE15, was the environment you know, mentioned? Were people prioritising it, whether the candidates themselves or were the NGOs and, and, and CSOs you know, promoting the agenda to candidates? We're going to discuss that. We're also smack in the middle of the monsoon season. Did last year's devastating floods teach us any lessons? Uh, have we taken those lessons on board and prepared better for this year? And finally, we also want to discuss the CITES COP19 conference, um, which took place in Panama. It just concluded. Uh, what were some highlights from there in terms of issues facing the trade in endangered species of animals and plants? Sulin and Yao Hua join me now to unpack that and more. Welcome both of you. How are you today? Fine. Good, good. Hello. Nice to have you guys back on the show. So um, elections, yeah. I mean, gosh, what a month or two months it's been. Um, I don't know. Did you guys see a lot about the environment being mentioned, whether by political parties or, you know, was the agenda being pushed by, you know, others, you know, members of CSO, NGOs and things like that? What do you guys think? I think for political parties, certainly looking at the manifestos, uh, I, obviously I, I couldn't attend every single Chirama, nor, nor, nor did I sort of pay so much attention to every single Chirama that was out there. But uh, every single political party manifesto had a mention of environment or climate in there, which which is, you know, may, maybe maybe that's to be expected. You can't sort of leave it out, except for one coalition, and that was uh, GRS, uh, didn't really specifically mention anything in the manifesto. However, I felt that there was a much bigger push from CSOs and NGOs and as well as individuals, uh, influencers actually, in terms of uh, the environment and climate movement uh, to push, uh, uh, you know, the, the environment uh, to the forefront to get people to pay attention to it. Uh, that's why at Makaranga, we, we, we decided to cover this because there, there seemed to be a lot more noise this this time around, you know, and especially, you know, like like BFM, you've been doing like really sterling work as well, uh, trying to push the, uh, the, the green agenda in, onto the political uh, platforms. But certainly just amongst some of the initiatives, there was uh, uh, a considered effort uh, called Undi Iklim, hashtag Undi Iklim, by different groups. Uh, in fact, the, the, the biggest groups, I think, in the environmental and climate circles got together and were pushing this campaign called Undi Iklim. So you had the uh, Gabungan Darurat Iklim Malaysia, yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, we had Greenpeace, you had WWFs, uh, Sabat Alam, senior conservationists, you know, even Kota Kita in, uh, in, in Sabah, everybody had their asks, which is fantastic, you know? So we had uh, initiatives such as uh, Greenpeace scraping the hands arts just to see as a start, imperfect, but as a start to see who mentioned uh, certain keywords in the environment the most, yeah? And yeah. and you had uh, Greenpeace on as well to talk about that, didn't you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then they, they unhurled this giant banner on uh, Datar and Merdeka, which was really quite something. Uh, and uh, GDIMY had 50 civil society volunteers to try and engage all 945 GE15 candidates to ask just a, a number of questions about, you know, uh, what they felt about the environment, what they were going to do in terms of the environment and climate. Eight responded. So, oh you know, so either, oh, here we go. either yeah. everybody was just too busy or, you know, they couldn't they couldn't make time for it. Uh, certainly one of them wanted to respond, but then he had to respond to floods instead. So yeah, it's a nice, nice wave, a nice movement kind of thing. And then, you know, we at Makaranga tried to give them a little bit of support in terms of, you know, this article, this on, ongoing article, as well as um, uh, on social media to try and uh, sort of amplify these voices. 
Yeah, I think I guess with the new government and the new cohort, I, I guess of uh, MPs, I think um, I, you know the, the fact that so few of them responded, right? Could either be they were you know either they were not concerned or they were too busy, or it could also be they they don't really know too much about it, right? To mm. to really say anything, I think it, it's the same for many of us. So yeah, so I guess it's it's with, with this new level of awareness in, in the recent GE, I think it's it's a good time for us to really catch up and and, and learn about all these uh, environmental initiatives. And um, I think there have been calls to to make the environmental concerns not a separate issue, but rather uh, being an integral part of economic planning. So I think that that's a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess we'll have to see. I mean, uh, we've always said that it needs to be not just uh, something under the Ministry of Environment, right? It needs to be across the different portfolios and things like that. So I guess we'll see what uh, happens with the cabinet lineup uh, and the announcement should be any day now. Um, and of course, you know, something that kept coming up during this election period, of course, was the fact that it's flood season, right? And we are, you know, it's smack in the middle of the monsoon season. We saw some really devastating floods last year. Uh, Who can forget those, right? But do you think, you know, we've learned some lessons from last year's experience? You know, uh, are we better prepared uh, for this year? Yeah, well, fortunately, I think uh, the the election came and went without too much of uh, flood issues, right? Well, there were some, right, leading up to the voting day itself. Yeah. And then, of course, in Sarawak, I think it was Ulu Baram that mm. they couldn't, uh, you know, finish all their voting because the polling stations were flooded and stuff. So, yeah, it is definitely a problem. Um, so, yeah, of course, so last year, the floods of, uh, you know, December last year to January this year was one of the worst in uh, Malaysian history. You know, um, I think about, f- about more than 50 people died because of it. And the, the economic loss was about 6.1 billion. And most of that is, you know, it was incurred in Selangor itself. So experts have been saying, right, people on the ground have been saying that weather problems aside, it was also a lack of and like, early warning system, you know, and then also delay and inefficient, you know, rescue and response, right? And then the cooperation between the federal and state has also been questioned, right? Last year, it seems a bit of a mess. And people have been warning that this year's flood could be worse than last year. And hopefully it won't be, but we should be prepared for that. And so what have been the preparations? So, you know, this early warning system has been around uh, in the East Coast states, right? But that's one of the things that came out from last year saying, oh, all our preparations are for the East Coast and then we didn't expect it to happen here. And then, you know, on the West Coast, so it's Selangor Klang Valley and then it did. Um, so this year, uh, they are going to implement, I actually do not know if they've already fully implemented this uh, national, this, this so-called National Flood Forecasting and Warning Center warning system. Uh, but Last year in December, right, the Water and Environment Ministry said that they will implement it. Uh, it they have been using it in, in, in the East Coast and they will implement it in the Klang Valley this year. So it gives off a siren, you know, uh, two days before. Uh, and then you know, it if, if, if forecasts floods like seven days before. And of course, they, I think one of the lessons that they have learned and, and they said they have learned and they're and they working on it is that, you know, they've put in a lot of investments so and preparations. So in October... Uh, in, in the October past, um, the Prime Minister office you know, actually revealed that they have, you know, um, prepared like uh, almost 80,000 officers on standby for, for floods. Uh, you know, they have uh, installed sirens and, and pumps and then they allocated to each district in the country, uh, like 50,000 uh, for, for that. And then also like Anatmar, right, uh, has, has allocations to buy motorized boats in each district. 
right? So, so you expect that they should be prepared. And then there's also this thing, which I did not know of before last year, which is the public info bungee. Uh, site where you can go and check for you know alerts of river levels and actually use that to check on uh, some of the places that I've gone to to ask the people that hey how are you doing now I see that your river is you know has exceeded warning levels and stuff and then there's also an app called My Chacha. Uh, and you you can try it uh, you you know it, it looks at your location and, and gives you warning that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, it's all good stuff. So this is just a general, uh, a much better general level of awareness and preparedness for the floods, which hopefully will not happen uh, mm -hmm. this year, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, we had been prepared for some really bad weather. Uh, thankfully, that didn't quite happen. Um, but yeah, that's great. And I think that's the thing, right? We, there's all these things that are available. We don't actually know about it. So it's, it's nice that you pointed it out. Um, Suleen, was there anything you wanted to add to that? Well, I, I think that how do we ensure that this goes beyond election season? You know, is this preparedness because uh, it's, it's election season right mm -hmm. now? You know, I, I do wonder about that. So so that's one thing. Uh, and we know that the, the, the good citizens of uh, the residents of Taman Sri Muda have a lawsuit out against uh, against several government agencies. So so let's let's see the outcome of that. You know, is, is, is a lawsuit what is needed to make sure that the government does its job or in different uh, agencies? You know, that's one. And the second thing I think is also to look at the causes of these floods. Like how much is that being addressed? Is it due to deforestation? Is it because of drains not being cleared? Uh, you know, is it climate change? Is it really rising sea, sea levels? And mm. therefore, do we not have enough embankments or, or whatever it is that we need to make sure that uh, these floods don't recur uh, because it's just going to get worse? Yeah. So back to our, you know, first discussion, right? These things really need to be prioritised uh, by the new cabinet as well um, across across the different ministries. Um, just just moving along, of course, November, I mean, I think everyone was talking about COP27, but we, COP19, the CITES COP19 also took place in November, 14th to 25th of November, two weeks of negotiations on some of the, I guess, most important issues facing the trade in endangered species of animals and plants. Uh, what are some highlights? Yeah, it's got a wonderful name. It's called the World Wildlife Conference. Yeah. Uh, I actually didn't know that until this yeah, year, yeah. actually. Yeah. So uh, very good news. Uh, it's got stricter, well, let's say very good news, but also it doesn't mean it's very bad news. It's got stricter trade regulations for 500 over uh, CITES species, right? So uh, so, so that's good because more, more species are actually being regulated now. And the, the awareness is there that they shouldn't be traded because they're endangered, yeah? Mm -hmm. So uh, what are some of the highlights? Uh, Malaysia, together with Singapore managed to put through successfully um, the listing of two songbirds. Now, birds have not been, you know, songbirds, they're small, they're not they're not really like high on anybody's priority or anybody's list or even awareness, you know, but uh, this is a huge uh, success for Malaysia um, together with working alongside Singapore and these two birds are the white-rumped shama uh, and the straw-headed bulbul, right? And these are heavily traded. In fact, the bulbul uh, was actually moved to a higher level of protection, uh, which means there's a complete ban on international commercial trade. And it's because these birds are very popular for singing competitions as pets and a lot of smuggling going on between Malaysia and Indonesia. Uh, Singapore also is, is a, a kind of country that, that actually keeps a lot of songbirds. Um, it's also great because this is a concerted effort from throughout Malaysia. So it's not just Ketsa, the, the ministry, but also Perhilitan, the agency, as well as the Sarawak uh, Forestry Corporation and Sabah Wildlife Department working together with the uh, National Parks Board of Singapore and Mandal Wildlife, yeah, which is which is fantastic. So that's one of the pieces of good news. Another piece of good news uh, is that three families of sharks and rays 
also have been uh, listed for the first time, yeah, mm. to have their trade uh, regulated. So we've got um, over a hundred species of sharks and rays now that's been added to the to the list, which is which is uh, really really important um, because a lot of the sharks you can't tell them apart from one another. So if they get caught and they get traded, um, you actually don't know whether or not they are the ones that are supposed to be you know protected kind of thing. Um, this might not have such big repercussions for Malaysia because the sharks in Malaysia are always listed as bycatch um, yes. rather than being traded internationally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but still, it's 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 a it's a good thing. You know, we've got um, several species of sharks in those hundred uh, species that have been listed. Um, so, so any protection is is a step I think in the right direction. Um, so the third species I want to talk about, which has good news or bad news, whichever way you want to look at it, is uh, about the pangolin, which is the world's largest traded uh, animal, I believe. Yeah. So they have been on the highest list uh, of protection since 2016. That's Appendix 1. But now they're saying that uh, if they are known uh, poaching or illegal trade happening internationally of pangolins, countries have to close their own domestic markets. They cannot trade them even domestically. Mm. So um, that's, I think, quite a big uh, step in the right direction as well. So, so, and that that I think includes Malaysia. Okay, so quite a quite a lot of good news coming up from this particular meeting, huh? Absolutely, yeah. And also, we've also got tree species, amphibians, uh, frogs, you know, tortoises, that sort of thing as well. Okay, all right. And I think, you know, we're heading into another major conference coming up as well. Uh, the, the biodiversity talks are coming up as well. So I think all interlinked. Um, I'll catch up with you next month uh, for highlights on that. But thank you so much, uh, both of you, for joining me today. I've been speaking to Wong Siu Lin, Lao Yahua, co-founders of Makaranga. If you'd like to read all the amazing work that they do, just head to makaranga.org. If you miss any part of our chat today, just download the podcast at bfm.my slash earth, or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.